Open your Bibles, if you would, to 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2. We'll continue our study in 1 Peter. 1 Peter chapter 2. And we know that this is a general epistle. It's written to, to saints um, that are scattered about in various areas. And Peter's writing to them to encourage them. They're going through sufferings and tribulations and trials for their faith. And today's message is called Suffering for Christ's Sake. Suffering for Christ's Sake. Let's read verses 13 to 21 so we get the context of the verses we'll be looking at. Submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether it be to the king as supreme or unto governors, as unto them that are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers, and for the praise of them that do well. For so is the will of God, that with well-doing ye may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men, as free and not using your liberty for a cloak of maliciousness, but as the servants of God. Honor all men, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. Servants, be subject to your master with all fear, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the forward. For this is thankworthy if a man's conscience toward God endure great suffering wrongfully. For what glory is it if when you are buffeted for your faults ye shall take it patiently? But if when ye do well and suffer for it ye take it patiently, this is acceptable with God. For what glory is it when ye be buffeted for your faults and ye shall take it patiently, but if when ye do well and suffer for it, ye take it patiently, this is acceptable with God. I put the same verse in twice here, I'm sorry. For even hereunto were ye called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example, that ye should follow his steps. Now last week we looked at verses 13 to 16 in this chapter, and we considered that God's people, his blood-washed saints, are submissive, are submissive, to the powers that be. And the reason we're submissive to the powers that be is because we know it's God who's ordained these powers over us and over all people. It's our Lord who puts presidents in power and leaders in power. It's all by his sovereign hand. And knowing that he has ordained them, we are submissive to them for Christ's sake. And we are both submissive to them, and yet we are free in Christ at the same time. So we're submissive and free. So our condition then is one of liberty and one of subjection. And we think of this in light of verse 16, where we see the servants of God are free in Christ and yet submissive to him. Look at verse 16. As free, not using your liberty for a cloak of maliciousness, but as the servants of God. We're free from the law in him, beloved. We're free from the law in him. We're free from the curse of the law. We're free from the penalty of the law. We're free from the power of the law, of, the, of sin. And we've had Christ revealed to us by the Holy Spirit of God. And what do we do as a result of that? We submit ourselves to him, don't we? There was a time when we weren't submitted to Christ. Now we submit ourselves to him. To him. And we are free in Christ. We're free in Christ. I, I really believe, I mentioned this last week, we're freer than we even know. You're absolutely free in Christ. 
<coughs> and the believer enjoys the liberty that we have in him. We enjoy that. But we also guard against abusing it, don't we? We guard against abusing that liberty. We don't want to abuse the liberty that we have in Christ. We don't use this liberty as a license or as an excuse to sin, do we? No, we act as servants of God. Servants of God. When we walk before Him as that. Note in verse 17, we have four different ways in which Christians are to conduct themselves as free and yet as the servants of God. And this will be the start of our text. Honor all men, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. Now Peter here is writes by inspiration of the Holy Spirit of God very plainly, very plainly in this verse. And so let's tie this in with the preceding verse where we, we see first that we are to honor all men to whom honor is due. Honor all men to whom honor is due. That's, a, that's a, officials who are in office, who are over us in position, rank, and authority, or circumstance, whether they believe, be believers or unbelievers, because God has ordained it to be so. Husbands and wives are to honor and respect one another. Christians are to honor, respect, and obey, or children are to honor, respect, and obey their parents. Teachers and officials are to be honored and held in great esteem. Pastors and elders are worthy of honor and respect. Government officials, all who are vested with civil authority, are to be honored. Are to be honored. Scripture says this in Romans chapter 13, 7. Render therefore to all their duty, tribute to whom tribute is due, custom to whom custom, fear to whom fear, honor to whom honor. Love the brotherhood, it says here in the second portion of verse 17. So it says, honor all men. Then it says, love the brotherhood. Love the brotherhood. Here before us is the special family love that all believers have for one another. Beloved, we're the same body. We're the same spirit. We have one faith, don't we? And we have one object of our faith. Who's that? Christ Jesus our Lord. And this is love the brotherhood whether we get along with them or not, whether we've had disputes with them or not, whether, whether something's happened where we don't no longer fellowship with them as much. Love the brotherhood. And we do, don't we? We do. We do. We haven't went anywhere, have we? We're still here. But we, we love the brotherhood. And, and, and I know the scriptures stress that so much that, that think of this. And I, I'm going to give us an example of two people who had a, a massive disagreement, Paul and Barnabas, both brothers, and sisters, brothers in Christ, right? Both faithful men of God. And they had such a, a disagreement that as far as we know, that they separated and never reconciled while they were on this earth. But you know what? They're, they're, they have sweet fellowship right now in glory. Right now, don't they? And they do. Sweet Sweet fellowship. And it's wonderful. It's absolutely wonderful. Brother Tim James told me that one time. He said, those two aren't arguing anymore. <laughs> They're not arguing anymore. They're not disputing anymore. And it's wonderful. So it's wonderful to think that. So love the brotherhood. Love the brotherhood. Our Lord has taught us to hate no one, but to love all people, and especially those of the household of faith. Turn, if you would, to First Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 9. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 9. Just a text for us to look at in light of this. And, and 
Paul's writing to the Thessalonians, and, and he just puts this little verse in here. And, and the reason why he says here, he, he, there's no need for me to, to, to really say this, is because, because believers love the brethren. We love the brethren, don't we? We do. Look what it says here, 1 Thessalonians 4 9. But as touching brotherly love, ye need not that I write unto you. For ye yourselves are taught of God to love one another. God teaches his people, right? To love one another, doesn't he? He teaches us to love one another. There was a time when we didn't love the brethren before we were saved. I remember that. Brother Matt, we've talked about it. Brother Noah, we've talked about it. There was a time when we did not want to be around Christians at all. But now, believers are the people we want to be around. We want to worship our king with them. And there was a time when we didn't want to worship the king because we didn't know him. Oh my. Oh my, what a change the Holy Spirit rots in his people when we're born again. And then it says here, love the brotherhood, and, and then it goes on to say, fear God. Fear God. Honor all men, love the brotherhood, fear God. And this is, this is not a slavish fear. This is not a slavish fear. This is a reverent fear. This is a reverent fear having been taught who God is, that he is absolutely holy, and that he is absolutely righteous. And, and this is, a, this is a, a fear of God that leaves us in awe, leaves us in awe of who he is because he's revealed himself to us. And it leaves the believer, it leaves the believer in amazement, in awe of who God is. Of who God is. Think of, just think back. We who are the redeemed of God. Think back. When you were in religion, what did you think of God? When you were lost, what did you think of God? There was no fear, was there? There was no fear at all. No, none. But now, we have a reverent fear of who God is. And, and, and it leaves us in awe that he didn't destroy us. Right? When we were dead in trespasses and sins. But no. He has mercy upon his people. He's loved his people with an everlasting love. So this is not a slavish fear of the wrath and judgment and punishment of God. We used to fear that, didn't we? We used to fear that. We used to fear death. Used to be ter- I used to be terrified of death. When I was little and my grandma died, it took me about six months. I remember my mom kept telling me, you're not going to die, Wayne. But I, I had not having experienced death, when my grandma died, I thought I was going to die. And so I was, I was terrified. But even as I grew older, I was afraid of dying. But now I know, I know as a believer, to, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. The sting and fear of death is gone, isn't it? And, and the, what, makes us, what makes us afraid of death? We don't, when we're not saved, we don't know what's going to happen. <laughs> we don't know what's going to happen. So the fear of the wrath and judgment and punishment of God for our sins as a believer, we know that all that's being appeased in Christ. And so that, the fear now that we have for God is not, not a fear of, of wrath or judgment or punishment. It's, it's a reverent fear, a holy respect of who God is, holy respect of, of the living God. And let us not forget that our, 
Our God is greatly to be feared and worshipped and praised. The scriptures declare this, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and the knowledge of the holy is understanding. Proverbs 9.10. And then Ephesians 5.21, the scriptures declare this, submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. Again, that's a reverent fear. That's a, a, a fear of awe of who God is. And we looked at this, turn if you would to one chapter over in 1 Peter. We looked at this very fear when we studied chapter 1. And look at verse 17 where it proclaims this. And, ye, and if ye call on, on the Father, who without respect to persons judgeth according to every man's work, pass the time of your sojourning here in fear. That's reverent fear. Not a slavish fear. That's a reverent fear. So our text continues in verse 17. Let's go back to 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 17. It continues. It says, honor the king. Now, back in biblical times, kings were in power. Today, we would say president, prime minister of a nation. Those who hold high office and, and represents authority. And that office and authority are to be respected and honored, regardless of who the man may be. Because God has put them there. Because God has put them there. And we speak respectively. Not so much of the man as of the office or the authority that he represents. One grace preacher said this, and I thought I, we, I needed to mention this. this is, he said this, it's a sad commentary on, on our times when people speak disrespectfully and joke carelessly about leaders and officials, especially of the highest office of the land. And the reason he said that is because it's God who ordains those people to be in that position. And we do these things, as the verse preceding this one said, we, we who believe we are born again servants of God, we believe it's God who has given authority to those who are above us. And then we live our lives serving and worshiping and praising our great God and King and thanking him for the freedom that we have. It's him who's given us this freedom. It's him who's allowed us to live in this country where we can come and freely worship. It's wonderful. We can gather together every Sunday and not, not have to worry about things. It's wonderful. It's absolutely wonderful. And it's him who's given us this freedom that we have in this country. And, and also it's, him that's give, it's God who's given us the freedom that we have in Christ. That we have in Christ. Let's continue. The next verse in this chapter says this, verse 18. Servants, be subject to your master with all fear, not only to, good, to the good and gentle, but also to the forward. Now, the unbelieving Jews had a notion that because they were the seed of Abraham, they were not to be servants of any people. And some of the believers in Christ thought that they should not have to be subject to, um, to, to unbelieving masters since Christ was their master. And they also had the idea that they should not have to serve and be obedient to, to believing masters because, because they're brothers and, sisters in, brothers and sisters in Christ. And, and Peter says that a workman or a servant or a hired man is, is to be subject to obey and to serve the person in authority above them with, with fear and respect and loyalty, whether he's a brother or an unbeliever. So obviously these believers had been experiencing severe trials and tribulations. And we know that from the first chapter, don't we? And we know this whole book is about suffering for the, for the sake of Christ, for the cause of Christ. Now turn, if you would, to Ephesians chapter 6. 
Faith does not do away with authority, a chain of command and dedicated service. But again, the unbelieving Jews had the notion that they, or the, the believing Jews, I'm sorry, who, who had been converted, they, they, had a, they had a notion that they should not have to serve anyone. Look at Ephesians chapter 6, verses 5 to 9. Servants, be obedient to them that are your masters according to the flesh, with fear and trembling and singleness of your heart as unto Christ. Not with eye service as man pleasers. So we don't, we don't, serve, we don't serve those above us right? to, to have them watch us and say, oh, that's great. We don't do that. We're not man pleasers. The believer's not a man pleaser. No, we serve God, don't we? And then we serve those who, who he's, he's placed over us for his sake. Vicky and I always used to say when we were doing our, our, our cleaning business, we, we do our job unto the Lord. We do our job. Unto, we work for other people, but we do our job unto the Lord. And that's what we're to do. With trembling singleness of mind as unto Christ, not with eye service as man pleasers, but as the servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart. With good will, doing service as to the Lord and not to man. So again, doing it, doing whatever position the Lord's put you in, doing it unto unto the Lord. Knowing that whatsoever good thing any man doeth, the same shall he receive of the Lord, whether he be bond or free. And ye masters do the same. Now, now, now he's writing those who who have authority over some of the believers, maybe believing, believing men who have who have slaves at that time, and. And ye, masters, do the same things unto them, forbearing, threatening, knowing that your master also is in heaven, neither is the respect of persons with him. So those who have been placed in authority who are believers, we have to always remember that we have one over us. And I'm a servant of the Lord. He's our master. He's our master. And that's, that's, what, that's what we have to believe. We have to remember. And we are to do all things for the glory of God, doing service unto the Lord. Whether we're at work, we work as unto the Lord. When we're at home, we live as unto the Lord. Look at verse 18 again in 1 Peter chapter 2. Servants be subject to your masters with all fear, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the forward. Now notice here in this verse, it's brought forth here the different personalities of the lost, and, and even for believers, right? Look at this, it says, some are gentle and some are forward. We see here the Holy Spirit brings forth the difference of, of personalities in lost people. Some are gentle, which in the Greek means mild. We would say easygoing. Some people are really easygoing, aren't they? Some people are. And some are forward, which in the Greek means this. Crooked, unfair, surely. Some people are like that too, aren't they? So do you see? The Holy Spirit has it written, and and that includes all in between too. All people in between. Some are easy to deal with and less rigid. Some are harder to deal with and very rigid. And God gives his people grace. He does. He gives us grace to interact with these different personalities, doesn't he? He does. We know it. We've experienced it in our lives. And all these different personalities are out there in the world. And we need to be content 
wherever the Lord puts us. We need to be content wherever the Lord puts us. Be content with the providence of God. And let us remember it's he who has placed us there. And, and so we're to rest and repose in him, aren't we? But again, what's the hardest thing for us to do? Rest in Christ. It's the hardest thing for us to do, just to rest in him. Brother Joe's coming in July, and he's the one who told me that years and years ago, and I've never forgot that. It's, it's the hardest thing for us to do. Just leave it with the Lord. Just leave it with the Lord. Let's look at verses 19 and 20. For this is thankworthy if a man for conscience sake toward God endure grief, suffering wrongfully. For what glory is it if when ye be buffeted for your faults, ye shall take it patiently? But if when ye do well and suffer for it, ye take it patiently, this is acceptable with God. So we're to submit to the authorities that God has ordained and placed over us. And sometimes we are subject to suffering. And sometimes we're, suf- we, we're subject to persecution. And sometimes we endure grief for what we believe. And sometimes we're mistreated. But we submit to God, don't we? Resting and trusting and reposing that he is working out all things for his glory and for our good. Now sometimes things don't don't seem like they're for our good when we're going through them, do they? They don't sometimes. But I can tell you, I've looked back on my life and seen things and went, that was for my good. That was for my good. And sometimes the Lord doesn't answer our prayers. And sometimes that's for our good. That's always for our good too, isn't it? But His will is worked out in our lives as believers. It is. For His glory and for our good. Turn, if you would, to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5. Look at verse 11 here in light of what we're looking at here about suffering for Christ. Look at this. Matthew chapter 5, verse 11. Blessed are ye when men shall revile you and persecute you and say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. So these words are particularly directed to God's elect. And they're here to inform us that we will not be exempt from reproach. We will not be exempt from persecution. And these words are here to strengthen and fortify the Lord's people. This is prophetic, as Christ himself is telling his people that they will endure things in the future. And they'll endure these things for Christ's sake. And every every blood-bought believer has experienced this, haven't we? In one way or another. And it says men revile God's people. Which means they deframe. The Greek word also speaks of undeserved reproach. Undeserved reproach. So the enemies of God's people will speak very reproachfully of them. And we should not be surprised because they did this to our master. They did this to the Lord Jesus Christ. And look at this, the end of that verse there. For my sake. For my sake. For his name's sake. For the sake of the gospel, beloved. Let us always remember that the servant is not above his master. The servant is not above his master. We'll look at that text in a little bit in light of what we're 
consider him here today. And then notice verse 12 of Matthew chapter 5. The words of the master brings great comfort to the believer. He tells him, you're going to suffer persecution. And you're going to suffer it for my sake. But look at the comfort that the believer can draw from this next verse in the midst of persecution or, or the midst of being reviled or, or going through a trial. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad for great is your reward in heaven. For so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. And note, rejoice and be exceedingly glad. Why? Because of the honor put upon them to be suffering for the cause of Christ. And because of the glory and happiness that shall follow upon their sufferings. Note the verse continues, for great is your reward in heaven. Now this is not of debt. The Lord doesn't owe us nothing, does he? If we got what we deserved, we'd be in hell. This is not, this is not a debt. This is a grace. And let's remember that Christ is our reward, right? Christ is our reward. We're not striving for a bunch of crowns and all that stuff. Christ is our reward, beloved. Christ and Christ alone. And, and why does it say that the reward is great in heaven? Think of the inheritance that we have in Christ. Think of the inheritance that we have in Christ. Incorruptible. Undefiled. Reserved for you in heaven. That's a great reward, isn't it? Oh my. And it's all in Christ. See, once again, it all, he gets all the glory. It all goes to him. It all goes to him. Christ in all his glory, the glory of the riches which we have in Christ, is the reward of the inheritance which is in Christ. It's a great reward because it's all in him. Turn, if you would, to Genesis chapter 15. Genesis chapter 15, in light of this, in light of Christ being our reward. Genesis chapter 15. This is wonderful. Genesis chapter 15. And keep your finger, though, in Matthew. We're going to go back there. I'm sorry. Keep your finger in Matthew, though. Genesis 15, 1. After... These things, the word of the Lord came unto Abraham in the vision, saying, what? Fear not, Abraham, I am thy shield and thy exceeding great reward. Christ is the believer's reward. Let's go back to Matthew chapter 5, verse 12. And it says there, For so persecuted they the prophets which were before you, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Zechariah, and, and others, which shows that that which should befall them was, was no new and strange thing, beloved. That which was going to befall upon the disciples and that which falls upon us is no new thing. No new thing. They persecuted the prophets. They persecuted us. They persecuted our Savior. They persecuted us. They persecuted the most eminent servants of God in the former ages. They're going to persecute all of us. One way or another, the believer will receive persecution in this life. Let's go back to 2 Peter chapter 2, 
Now let's look at verse 21 in light of what we've considered. For even hereunto were ye called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that ye should follow his steps. Now note the words here, for even hereunto were ye called. We are called to be servants of the Most High God. We're called with an effectual call. An irresistible call. I like to say an invincible call. You can't stop it. It's all by the Holy Spirit of God. And he calls us out of darkness, doesn't he? We who believe. Out of darkness into the marvelous light of his dear son. The Lord Jesus Christ. We are servants of the Most High God, beloved. We are fitted by Him for service. We're fitted by Him for, for that which He will have us to do. Again, we're called with a holy, effectual calling. And the Scriptures declare we will suffer for His sake. And God gives grace, doesn't He, to His people. He gives us grace in the midst of trials and tribulations. And note in verse, the words in verse 21, because Christ also suffered for us. The sinless one dying for sinners. And the believer, we look at this personally and say, that's me. Christ suffered for me. For my sins. For my sins. Christ suffered in the, in the place of me. In the place of all his people to fulfill the law, to satisfy the justice of God, and to make reconciliation to God for our sins. And he made it to God because we've sinned against God. It's him who's offended, isn't it? It's his law who's been, that's been broken. It's his justice that must be satisfied. And so the sinless one, the Lord Jesus Christ, God incarnated in the flesh, dies and suffers for us. The believer says, for me. For me. Note the verse concludes with this, leaving us an example that she should follow his steps. And we are called to obedience and godliness and good works and to bear whatever affliction, trial, and suffering may result from, a, from our walk. The Lord said this, in the world ye shall have tribulation. But be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. I've overcome the world. I'll read in Philippians chapter 1, and I'll have you turn to Matthew chapter 10. In Philippians chapter 1, Paul writes this, Only let your conversation be as it becometh the gospel of Christ, that whether I come and see you or else be absent, I may hear of your affairs, that you stand fast, in one spirit, in one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. And this is what we do, don't we? We serve God, striving together for the, for the, for the faith of the gospel. And in nothing, terrified by your adversaries, which is to them an evident token of perdition, but to you of salvation and that of God. For unto you it is given in the behalf of Christ, not only to believe on him, but also to suffer for his sake. To suffer for his sake. Having the same conflict which he saw in me. And now here to be in me. Philippians chapter 1 verses 27 to 30. Now. We look in Matthew chapter 10. And we're close here. 
in verses 16 to 24. And our Lord says this, Behold, I send you, I send you forth as sheep in the midst of wolves. Be ye therefore wise as serpents and harmless as doves. But beware of men, for they will deliver you up to the councils, and they will scourge you in the synagogues, and ye shall be bought before governors and kings for my sake, for a testimony against them and the Gentiles. But when they deliver you up, take no thought how or what ye shall speak, for it shall be given you in, this, in that same hour what ye shall speak. For it is not... For it is not ye that speak, but the Spirit of, the, of your Father which speaketh in you. And the brother shall deliver up brother to death, and the father of the child, and the children shall rise up against their parents and cause them to be put to death. And ye shall be hated of all men for my name's sake. But he that endureth to the end shall be saved. And we know the Lord is the one who keeps us, don't we? He keeps us. But when they persecute you in this city, flee ye into another. For verily I say unto you, ye shall not have gone over the cities of Israel till the Son of Man come. The disciple is not above his master, nor the servant above his Lord. What a Savior. What a hope we have in the Lord Jesus Christ. 